everyone, and welcome back to the show. Jessica Stevens here, your host of I Just Blank Now. Welcome the podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So excited for another amazing Now What Wednesday and have a really awesome guest joining me for today's episode, sharing a really, really big, big story, one that pivotedly, <laughs> pivoted her life in a whole different direction. Brittany Hamilton is coming on to share her story of being involved in a fatal accident and being charged and going to jail. So today is, yeah, we're unpacking a huge story. So buckle up and get ready. Here is a little bit about Brittany. Brittany is a woman on a mission to help others become unshakable in their confidence, mastering, overcoming fear of judgment, limiting beliefs, and having overall wellness lifestyle. She stepped into the coaching world to help others shift their mindset while unequivocally overcoming any judgment and unworthiness, being healthy from the inside out and focusing on fitness and nutrition as the full package through the process. After much trauma and a horrific accident, Brittany learned how to use her mind as her greatest tool to step into success while then while helping others. She wrote her story alongside 18 other women in the book, Self-Love Elevated, where she shared her journey that has brought her to helping others today. Her passion and most of her clients are women, mamas uh, who desire more purpose, health, and strength out of life. She is a mama to three little girls herself, married to her best friend, and is living proof that you can have it all if you're willing to put in the work for what you want. Her passion has always been helping people feel their best. That is exactly what she's on a mission to do. And she's sharing that piece today that brought her to her own unshakable mindset and wellness lifestyle. So without further ado, let's get to the now what? Have you ever had a situation happen in your life that you weren't expecting, good or bad, and said to yourself or out loud, oh my gosh, I just fill in the blank. Now what? Me too, friend. Me too. I've had quite a few actually, and in the moment, I never knew what I was going to do next. Of course, I had to figure it out, sometimes the hard way, but I did figure it out. So join me and some amazing guests this season as we all share our own I just blank now what stories so we can all learn from their transformational lessons to help us all answer that lifelong and often paralyzing question, now what? Hey friend, did you just think to yourself, I just love this podcast, now what? Well, I hope you do, and if you did, I got the answer. Become a patron and support the show. For just a $5 financial gift a month, you can access episodes early and without ads. Plus, you'll be entered to win our monthly Patreon giveaway, like books and courses from our guests and some fun merch. For just a $10 a month contribution, you'll become an all-access patron and also get bonus exclusive content from me and some of our guests. Behind the scenes, Q&A, bonus questions, all of it. So head over to patreon.com backslash I just blank and now what? Or click on the link in the show notes and become a patron today. Hi, Brittany. Hi, Jessica. How are you doing this morning? I'm good. I'm doing well. How are you? Good. I'm so excited for our, our chat and our conversation on this beautiful Sunday morning. It's, it's really early for you and it's nice and 
you know, getting to that time of day for me, but uh, so glad that we were able to find a nice quiet time for us to have a nice chat. I am so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. When we first connected and I, you know, got a little glimpse into your story, I'm like, oh, oh yes, she, she definitely (laughs) has to come on the show. But before we get into your full story, which I'm very excited about, I always love for guests to share a little bit about themselves in their own words. Obviously, I just read your bio to everybody, but, you know, what is it that you actually want people to know about you? Oh, well, so I am a mama of three little girls and I am married to like my very best friend, but I just want people to know really like I came from a lot of trauma, a lot of traumatic things. And I have created such an amazing, beautiful life and that you can balance it all. Like you can balance being a good mom, being a good wife and an awesome business owner. Like that is a purpose that I feel like is just so sometimes missed or moms feel like they can't juggle it all. And so that's like a huge piece for me is you can come from something that's hard and do everything you want to do. And your past does not define you. And your past does not define you. Which is a perfect segue into (laughs) your story that we're going to be unpacking this morning. And this is going back to when you were much, much younger and something really tragic happened in your life in which you were in a car accident in which somebody died. Yeah. Yeah. And you were charged with vehicular manslaughter. Vehicular homicide, actually. Vehicular homicide because. Because he passed away. The person died. Okay. So Britt, I'm going to ask you to rewind the tape and take us back to who you were, what was going on in your life that led up to this unfortunate night and then what happened after that. Okay. So I was 22 at the time. I was a hairdresser, just got done with beauty school and and an apprenticeship. I found out I had carpal tunnel in both my wrists and I was like, this is crazy. I'm 22. So it was a Friday night. I had, I was living with roommates, boyfriend, all the things, you know, 22 year old Friday night, what you do. Mm-hmm. And we had had a couple drinks, nothing crazy, but I was driving home, made the decision to head home. And I was in the far, it was a two lane street. Well, it's four lanes with the median. So two lanes on one side, median, two lanes on the other. So I am in the far right side. It's about 830 because we had gone out after work, all of that. So it's dark. It was February. So here where I live, it was dark by that point. And I'm driving next to this car, completely almost home, almost home. And I see the car next to me slam on their brakes. So I immediately slam on mine. I don't know why there was just this reaction of they're slamming. I'm going to slam. And as I did, that's when I noticed there was a man in the street. And I don't know why I'm getting emotional but we collided. So I had hit him. I stopped my car. I got out. The cops obviously came. They arrested me right there because I told them I I was very honest with them. I said I had had a couple drinks. They asked me. And then I went to jail that night. I was booked. Never been to jail before. Never been arrested before. 
my mom came and um, bailed me out that evening. And it was this whirlwind after that, right? I didn't know what to expect. I had no idea what was going to happen. Three days later, we found out he passed away. And so my charges went from vehicular manslaughter to vehicular homicide. There wasn't like any careless driving, things like that, because I wasn't speeding. I wasn't being reckless. It just was, I had alcohol in my system. We, my original sentence was 12 to 24 years at the time. We got attorneys involved. We did all the things I started in, you know, therapy, sobriety. Like I started proving that I wouldn't drink. I was doing daily UAs or breathalyzers, UAs. What's I was UA getting, for those who don't know that acronym. Yeah, it is. I don't know what it stands for. That's horrible. It's where like urine. They oh, test urine tests. Urine. Yes. Urine test. okay, <laughs> I'm like, I don't it. know what that is, but. but urine that, analysis. Probably yes, that. <laughs> There we go. There we go. And a BA is a breath analysis. So I actually did that because at the time, this was 15 years ago. It was Mm -hmm. very different than it is today. And I just wanted the accountability, like somebody eyes on me, checking in with me, knowing, you know, this wasn't who I was, but it was a piece of my story now. So after talking with attorneys and everything, they're like, we really think the best would be for you to take a plea bargain because risking 12 to 24 years was a big gamble. I mean, that was a huge gamble. We found out later he had substances in his body. We found out he had a friend that had stopped in the median and that he was talking suicidal that whole day. So we had things, but still... I took responsibility for my part in this. And so I took a plea bargain. They said it would be two to six years is the plea bargain. So in court, you can basically say I'm guilty to this piece of it. And then they will give you a lesser charge. So that's what I did under the assumption that I'd never been in trouble before the chances of prison, the chances of any big incarceration Everybody was like, that won't happen. You'll get maybe probation. Because Um, of your history, because of the circumstance, because of how the case was unfolding. Everyone assumed that this would just get whittled down further and further to be not time in jail. Correct. And and I was like, I understand my part in this and I take full responsibility. So I knew Mm -hmm. there needed to be something. Mm -hmm. But I never assumed any jail any prison and jail is different than prison. So define that for us. What's the difference? So jail is like your County jail typically, right? So if you get, I don't know, pulled over, arrested for something simple and they can keep you typically in jail, it is in the County. It's not as highly guarded. And I think the longest you can be in there is a year. So it's minimal crimes, usually like misdemeanors, smaller things. Prison is your murders, rapists. I mean, you're talking bigger crimes, longer sentences, maximum security, you know, where you're either in a cell 23 hours a day, or you have a little bit more freedom. There's different levels of prison too, which I've yeah found out. Okay. So you are thinking possibly jail time, but 
prison was not even Mm-mm. in your realm of thought. No, attorneys. So before you go to sentencing, before you go to court, you meet with probation officers mm-hmm. and they scale you, right? They go through your history. They go through your past, like your family. They go through everything to see like, what's your risk factor for being out in society, essentially. And they were like, you're super minimum. Like there's no, you have no history. You've never been, you know, never in trouble at school, never expelled. None of those things were on my record. So we go to court. I agreed to take the plea bargain and I'm standing there. I talked on my behalf. My victim's daughter finally came forward and she talked on his behalf. And the judge sentenced me to six years in prison, in maximum security prison. He did that with a contingency of boot camp on there. So if I were to finish boot camp, which is like military boot camp, 90 days, we would reconsider my sentence then. But I, I was, when I heard the sentence, I just went numb. I just, I couldn't, I didn't understand it. I didn't know what that meant. You know, they took me right then and there. All of this was so new to me. Do you, in your body, like still feel the same feelings that you were feeling at 21 standing in the car? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I can feel it in my stomach, just the shakiness, mm-hmm. right? I can go back there and I can feel all of that. I can yeah. feel just the pain, the shock for everybody, you know? Yeah. I go right back. What did his daughter share in court that day? You know, I'll be very honest. I don't remember a ton because I was so emotionally just kind of locked in on just staying focused. Yeah. But she did have a poster of him, of pictures of him. She didn't come forward right away. It was kind of an odd case. No one was coming forward basically to claim him, you know, to even, we knew who he was because of an identification and that's when the cops went to his house and found his friend and found out like more of the backstory of what his day looked like. But it seemed like they maybe had an estranged relationship and I'm not real sure, you know, what all she said that day, but it was, I do remember being very sad listening, you know, being very just remorseful. You know, she's still somebody she loved that wasn't there. So you hear six years prison and they take you away. Then what happened? So they literally take you right then and there. I turned around and briefly hugged my mom and my boyfriend at the time. And then I was gone and they put me in a holding cell for a few hours, maybe booked me into the jail. And then I had never spent a night in jail. So I'm like, this is, I have no idea what to expect. And really they don't know, you know, it just is kind of paperwork at this point. I stayed there two nights and then in the middle of the night on the second night, they basically came and got me and took me to prison in, you know, a shuttle bus that where they, you know, confined my arms to my legs, chains. It just, I had never been in that situation. It was very surreal. I had no idea where I was going. I had no contact with my family. They had no idea where I was going. Even my attorneys at the time couldn't figure out where I was actually going. Because this quote unquote 
wasn't the plan. This is, what this is, is this was something that no one actually anticipated happening. So there was no, if this happens, then this is going to happen. Then this is going to happen. Yeah. No, no one thought that you would actually be sentenced to prison. Mm-mm. No, it was, I mean, nothing was uh, like lined up, I guess, afterwards, right? Mm-hmm. Like my mom had to take care of all of my stuff after, which is fine, but there was no, I had no idea. I had no idea. And I didn't know that it would be right then, you know, Mm -hmm. if that was the case you see in the movie, sometimes maybe they like go back like a week later, however that works. So in my mind, it was never, I'm not going home that day. How far away is this now all happening from where you live? Yeah. The prison itself was about 45 minutes from my mom and my boyfriend. So like my major support was only, you know, it was 45 minutes. So not hours and hours away. So that was, no, it was a good thing. They wanted to move me. So again, I found out in prisons, they have different levels. So they have high maximum security. Then they have like different levels. My counselor at the prison wanted to take me to a lower level because again of my background, but because of the vehicular homicide, because of the actual charge, they couldn't. So the place they wanted to send me was almost three hours away, but because they couldn't send me there, I was only 45. So it was a blessing and a curse, I guess, you know, I was close family could see me but I was in maximum security prison. Wow. Okay. So let's talk about this boyfriend because mm-hmm. you were dating him not very long before this all happened. How long had you guys been dating before the accident? We had only been together eight months. Okay. So it was very short. I had known him longer, like as an acquaintance, mm-hmm. but we had only been together eight months and his family, myself, I'm, we all were like, you need to move on. We are 23 years old. You know, who knows what I'm going to, what this is going to look like, what it's going to do to me, how it could change me. You need to just move on. And he was like, Nope, I'm sticking by you. So he stuck by and he came and visited every single weekend while I was gone. That's love. Mm Mm-hmm. That's love. Okay. So you're now in prison. What was, what was, what was life like for you? You know, kind of walk us through. I know it's very, very much routine and the same thing happens day in and day out. So what was your new routine now that you were in prison? Yeah, it was terrifying. I mean, the first four days I was terrified So the first three, I was in solitary confinement. So while they are processing you in, it was 23 hours. I was by myself and I read, I, I just laid there and cried. I begged for paper to just write a letter to my mom so that I could tell her. I didn't even know where I was. Like I couldn't geographically tell her where I was, but I could just tell her I was okay. Yeah. And I finally got that. Then they moved me to like the next level and it is like what you would envision, right? You walk in and it's like double stories, 
steel doors, somebody opens and shuts your door and it's loud and it's terrifying. You know, I'm 23 at this point. I am like totally out of my realm. I don't know what to do. I don't know if I should talk to anybody. My one counselor told me, she's like, just stay to yourself. Just do not get close to people. And I was like, okay. Of course, on my mind, I'm like, well, how does that look if I'm just not talking to anybody? You know, I go in there, I have a roommate and she doesn't say a word to me for days. I have no belongings except for what's there. It's just, you feel like out of body experience because I had no idea what to do. They have like a, it was called chow hall. So where you would go and get breakfast, lunch, and dinner, they have a gym area. And that's how I kept myself busy. So I was preparing for boot camp because I was like, if I can go to boot camp and get through this, the judge is going to look at my sentence again. So that to me was my way out. The gym became your focus and your zone and quote unquote, I guess your safe space. Yeah. I mean, anytime I was allowed to go to the gym, I went, if I wasn't, I was doing pushups in my cell. I mean, I was like, I'm going to go and I'm going to be strong because I knew it was hard. A new boot camp was extremely hard. And girls are actually getting hurt then. So my mom really didn't want me to go. She was like, please don't go to boot camp. Did you did you find out why why boot camp? Like why if you went there, he was gonna reconsider your sentence? He never said, but if I were to guess, it would be just a mental strengthening. That would be my assumption, right? But it was a lot of it was a lot of mental toughness and physical toughness. You know, they'd shave your head. It's literally the military boot camp. So that's what I would have been going into. But he never said why. He so never said why. Your mom doesn't want you to do it. You're saying, I'm doing it if it's going to cut my sentence. Yep. Yep. And at the same time as that's all happening, my attorneys are filing an appeal to, for a motion to have my sentence overturned, anyways. Right. So they're hitting it on one side and I'm going the other direction. So there's a lot of things happening in the background and, but you have no idea when, when any of this is going to happen, how long it's going to take for you to even be able to be going to boot camp, any of that. So how Mm-mm. much time actually does pass between when you first arrive to when things start changing? I got in there in January and it was, so the wait list for boot camp it was once a month. They only came once a month and I was on the wait list. We knew the appeal was going and by March we had a good idea the appeal was going to be like in the middle of the end of spring early summer. And I was like, "Well, I'm still going to boot camp." And my mom is coming to visit like, "Please don't go." She's begging me not to go. What was and your I, mom's concern about you going to boot camp? I think she was really worried about me getting hurt. I think that was her biggest concern is long-term something happening and she just couldn't handle that. So I, my mom was sick at the time and I decided, you know what, if this is how I can honor her, respect her, I'm going to go pull my boot camp papers. Give her a little bit of ease mm-hmm. in, in this whole situation. Yeah. Okay. 
So I went and pulled them and my counselor's like, you know what that means? Like you can't do it again. It's not the judge isn't going to give you this opportunity again. And I was like, I know I have to have faith that this is going to be the right decision. I just have to trust that this is the right decision. So that was by April. My appeal was that early that month. My mom and my boyfriend went and spoke on my behalf because I pulled my papers right at the same time. So I couldn't go to court to talk on my behalf. So my mom and my boyfriend did. And he said, I'm going to take this whole thing and I'm going to think about it. He didn't give a time limit. He didn't give anything. Was this the same judge that you had before? Yep. Yep. So we just said, okay. I just kind of settled in, got in a routine. I had a job in prison. So I had something that I had to do. And I kind of just went about, you know, day-to-day life in there and just waited. And then one day I was sitting in my room and the guard came and knocked on my door and he says, pack your stuff. You're going home tomorrow. And I was like, what are you talking about? No, I'm not. I didn't believe him. I was like, no, I'm not. I have no idea what you're talking about. I've been here for six years, dude. Like, yeah, (laughs) it's been six months. Like we, we are not done. And he's like, pack your stuff. You're going home tomorrow. And so I immediately went and called my boyfriend and I was like, this is the strangest thing. He's like, no, you need to call your mom. Your sentence got overturned. And so that's when I found out. So after six months, the judge decided to overturn my entire sentence from prison to a halfway house. So within a day I was out of prison. What did that feel like for you? I think it was surreal. I didn't realize it at the time, but like after a few months passed, I had gotten so scared of doing anything wrong, you know, like doing anything that I was like, are you sure I can leave? Are you sure that this is okay? Because I was so scared to go back, to do something wrong, to do something out of place. But then I also was extremely grateful. I was extremely grateful and then scared again for what this next chapter was going to look like. So you get released from prison. Now what? They take you to a halfway house, which is basically you can live there. You have to hit all these goals, hit all these steps. And then once you hit that, it's kind of like an intensified probation after that. It's definitely more intense than probation. Mm -hmm. And then you go, you finish out your sentence on probation, like on the outpatient part of it. So I did six months in the facility and the week before Christmas, I got released. And then I moved in with my boyfriend because we had decided I couldn't live with anybody else besides him or my mom, just because the rules were so strict that other people might not respect like what I would need. Yeah. What were those rules? No car, no cell phone, no bank account, like no checkbook. I shouldn't say that it wasn't a checkbook. You could have a checkbook, but not a, like a debit card. Mm-hmm. Being home by 12, random UAs where I would call a number every single morning. And if my color was called, I had to go do a UA. Meetings, you know, making sure I was still working. What were the meetings? A lot of it was just like coping mechanisms, substance, anything that they do to like rehabilitate you back into like support society. meetings, support yes. meetings. Yes. Yep. And then I was working and yeah, it was wild. 
So you're now 24. You're released from this halfway house. You're now living with the amazing human who Mm -hmm. stood by you through all of this. What did it feel like to finally be, you know, have most of this in the rear room? Obviously, there was still a long road ahead. You still were on probation. You still had lots of things. But for the most part, your life was coming back to Brittany being 24, 25 years old and starting your life again. Yeah, it was interesting. It was so strict that I was still, I remember the first time I went to the grocery store and my boyfriend goes, can you get some ketchup? And I stood in the aisle, Jessica, I stood in the aisle for like 15 minutes. I didn't know which ketchup to pick. And it was because all the choices had always had been there. Like everything was picked for me for the last year. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I don't even know what ketchup to pick. And then somebody walked behind me and they had keys and I could hear the keys behind me. And it just panicked me because when I was in prison, the keys and the guards. So there were little things that I didn't realize that had traumatized me that I had no idea until I got out and was back in society and kind of becoming normal. But it was always in the back of my head, like, I still had to do so much. It was so much to keep everything right, keep me free. Because if anything happened, if I slipped up, I'd go right back. So it was like, okay, I'm going to do everything that I can just to keep going. Were you a disciplined person before this? Yes, but this took it to a different level. I was about to say, (laughs) your level of discipline needed to be on point to Mm -hmm. follow every single rule and step to the letter to ensure that your freedom was still on the table. Yeah. And to like, not have a hardened shell, but I had to have like this protection of myself. Like I didn't care what people thought at that point. You know, if I had friends that are like, oh, you could do this. I'm like, nope, no, I cannot. Oh, you could stay out past midnight. No, I cannot. I cannot. You know, I really had to become strong in who I was take responsibility for my life and not really worry about what anybody else thought of what I was doing to like better where I was at. So how long was probation for the rest of those five years that was left? So it was four and a half total that I did because you get good time. So with every month you get like a certain amount off. Yes. So, mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. So it was four and a half years total. And I remember the day my boyfriend took me to check out the last day and I wanted like a piece of paper from them. I was like, I want something that says I'm done to carry it around with me 24 seven. And they're like, we have nothing for you. And I was like, what do you mean? Yeah. They're like, you're just done. And I was like, I get no something from the courts, like nothing. I finally did. Cause I went and got it, but I was like, I just need something to show me. I need some sort of graduation certificate, right? (laughs) Like I've, I've done it. Here's my time and proof of proven evidence. Yeah. And the weird part, Jessica, is that day, I remember we were driving home and I cried the entire way home. And, and my boyfriend was like, what is wrong? I'm like, it's the life I've known for the last five years. It's, I don't, this is going to be, I automatically get a car again. I automatically, like all the things came back to me in a day. And I was like, this is 
I did the same way where it was all taken away from you in a day. There's no like, okay, gradually in, gradually out. It was like, yeah, dry one day to the next. Your life is completely different again. Yeah. Yeah. And I mourned it that way too. You know, I mourned it the first time and I mourned it that way because I just had gotten used to it. Yeah. I got used to people, you know, people not being able to get a hold of me all the time. Kind of nice. I got used to certain things that I was like, now I have to figure out this new normal. Okay. So you're now how old when all of it? I was 20. No, I was 28. And still with the wonderful boyfriend. We were engaged at that point. So he did propose while I was right towards the end because we knew we wanted to get married. We did not want to get married while I was dealing with any of that. Mm -hmm. So we decided he was like, he proposed before. And then as soon as that happened, we started planning the wedding. And this is the wonderful husband that you have now with your three gorgeous girls. Yep. He's pretty incredible. (laughs) I'll say, (laughs) I'll say, okay, so now what? Your sentence is finally finished. You have served your time. I'm assuming you've gone to therapy this whole time. You, mm-hmm. You've seen so, so many counselors. Are you ready to, to restart your life? Yeah, I was ready. I was ready and I was scared, right? Mm-hmm. So I was in the salon the whole time that this is all happening. And with each daughter we had, I backed out of it more and more and more because I felt this bigger calling. Mm -hmm. I had always had a lot of shame and guilt around my accident, around what happened. And at one point it was like, I'm, I can't carry this anymore. And if I can help other people realize they can have a past and then walk through it and come out better and not have the judgment, not carry the shame, not have limiting beliefs. Cause so many people told me, because you've been here, because you've been through this, you'll never get out. And I just said, that's not going to be my story. Just because a lot of people can't get out of this, I know this isn't going to be my story. And so as we had more kids, I started backing out of working behind the chair as much. And then I Was started- that your own business or did you work for somebody? Mm-hmm. No, my own business. Okay. Was it yep. hard to find a job? Is that why you decided to open your own business? Because No. So because of, so with my sentence, I knew I was taking a felony. So that's why I continued to do hair, which I was doing hair before my accident. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to have my own schedule because of all my classes, because of all my things. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to have somebody telling me when to work. So that's when I started. I got out in 2009, 2010. I started my own booth renting. And luckily the person that owned the salon, I've always been upfront and honest. Mm-hmm. This is my situation. This is what's happening. And they were so incredibly supportive. So, so you kind of had like the best of both worlds. It wasn't, you were, you weren't an outright owner of a salon with all the no. responsibility, but you also weren't an employee, you know, being told when, where, how, and being judged for all the things. You were kind of like independent, yeah. you know, <laughs> Self-employed. You rented this chair. This was your spot. You booked your own things. Okay. So that was a great, that was a great way for you to like integrate back in. Yeah. hundred percent. It's the only way I could have done it. Cause I think if it was where I was an employee, 
an employer would have gotten sick of like, oh, you have to leave for this. Oh, you have to leave for that. Cause oh, I just, this day, you can't work that day. You can't work. It, yeah. yeah. Or like if I was late, I remember one time I was so late cause the buses were late and I, cause I couldn't drive and thank goodness my client at the time, I didn't have a cell phone. So it wasn't like I could just shoot him a text and say, Hey, I'm running late. And I had to tell him my story. I was like, well, I'm going to be 20 minutes late and I have no reason to tell you this is the reason he stole my client today. Well, that's, you know, loyalty is a wonderful thing. And it sounds like you have some amazing loyal people in your life who have stood by you from the get go and continue to do so. So that's, uh, that's awesome. So with each baby, you said less and less time behind the chair. Yep. Yep. I just cut back with each one, Mm -hmm. but then I started realizing like, okay, I really love helping people. Like that's why I was in the salon industry. I love talking to people and helping them. And that's just my personality. Mm -hmm. What can I do? (laughs) What can I do to make, to just to have something else besides just being mom and helping other people? Purpose. Yeah. I needed a purpose. Exactly. So I joined a network marketing company about a little over a year ago. And in that process, I started talking to more and more people. And I'm like, man, they're they're having blocks like I used to have. Like they're worried about judgment. They're worried about limiting beliefs if they can do this. And I started just feeling this pull of I can help them in a bigger way. So that's when I hired a business coach. I hired some other coaches to help me so that I could start my own coaching business with mindset, overcoming judgment, limiting beliefs, all of the things, even just like having a healthy lifestyle, moving your body, getting necessary sleep, all of that stuff helps so much. So I launched that about six months ago and I've been just helping people ever since. And you wrote a book. And I wrote a book. Yes, I wrote a book. It's called Self-Love Elevated. I'm going to show you. It's right here. So it's a compilation book. It is with 18 other amazing ladies. And it is just going through basically how I went through my story, but then found love for myself again. Because I think that's the other piece that so many people miss is loving themselves first because they need to love themselves first to give back to everybody else. Wow. Brittany, you, you are a champ. <laughs> and yes. I just want to acknowledge you for a from the get go owning your part, owning what you did, and saying, "Yeah, I was drinking." And while you may not have been at fault as to why he was in the road, you were definitely at fault in you were the one that hit him, right? And you own that from the get go. And mm-hmm. so I want to just acknowledge you for that because other people could have been very much you know, he ran into the road. I, it wasn't my fault. Like what? Yes. Technically that's some of the things that happened, but you owned the fact that you and you had a couple of drinks. Yeah. Yeah. And you've just been taking responsibility the whole way through and allowing whatever is going to happen, happen. And then you will figure out how to proceed from there. So I just want to acknowledge you for that because not many people can do that. Thanks, Jessica. Yeah. I think it's, you know, I truly believe sometimes our lives 
collided for a reason. Now, do I always like the outcome of how it worked for either of us? No, Mm -hmm. but I truly believe there was some purpose there bigger than I will ever understand. Now that it's been so long since, you know, it all happened, was there, and obviously you wrote a book about it. You're on the podcast now you're sharing your story openly, which is great now, but was there a gap of time where the shame of what you had done closed you off? You didn't tell people like, was there a little period where it was a big secret? Yeah. So part of the biggest healing piece for me recently, honestly, my clients at the salon never knew none of them, except for the one that I was running late for that one day. Mm -hmm. So for 15 years, and I've seen some of these people for 15 years, none of them knew the side of me. As far as friends, family, all my family knew, most close friends knew, but there were still times, especially once I was off paper, once I finished it, it, we kind of never talked about it. Like it just, there was no reason, no purpose to... I was still healing from a lot of it. So I was like, I can't share this until I heal even further. But yeah, there was a big chunk of time where I didn't talk about it. My mom, what made you decide now's the time. Now's the time to talk about it and be really honest and open and put my story out there because that's hard. It is. And in the very beginning, I really wanted, this was right after everything happened, maybe two or three years later. I tried to go in and talk. There's a place around here where they go in and talk to high schools about drinking and driving. And they didn't want to have me on there because I wasn't the victim. It was the other way around. And I was like, I think if we can help people understand that it isn't just a DUI, that other people's actions can all intertwine with each other. You know, my actions that night, his actions that night. So I tried for a solid year, I tried to like do that and I got shut down. And so that was part of me being like, okay, this is a shame that maybe I shouldn't share. And then probably five years ago, my mom actually passed away. And so after that, I started being like, this is my purpose. I know this is it. And I need to help. I healed a little bit more (laughs) and that's when I decided I need to share this. And I was really scared for clients to find out. I was, you know, my salon clients, I was really scared for any, where we are in our life now, a lot of our newer friends didn't know my story. Our kids as parents, our kids as friends, some of their parents didn't know my story and I was nervous, but I thought if I can share this and help just a few people or help some mom that feels stuck too. You know, like you've got something that is hurting so deeply. If I can help those people, this is okay. This is worth it. So once I started sharing it, once the book came out, I mean, clients were ordering it and I'm like, okay, everybody's ordering it. All these people, you know, some of my coaching clients, I'm like, okay, everybody's starting to know all of these things. And it's been incredible how many people are like, thank you for sharing. Now I can share this piece. And maybe it's not as verbal as I am. Maybe it's not as dramatic, intense. intense. Some of them are, some of them are heartbreaking, but even if it's just talking through it with your spouse or friends or, you know, getting extra healing and support, whatever that looks like, 
that was worth it for me. I love it. I love it. So, you know, now what now, now, you know, I obviously you kind of shared a little bit. Now you're, you're coaching, you have another amazing business. You've stepped away from hair, but you're healing, you're healing and helping people in a whole different way. Tell us where people can find you. If, if people want to learn more, if people want to hear more of the story, get the book. Yep. So my Instagram handle, which is probably my easiest one is at Brittany. It's B-R-I-T-T-N-I-E underscore last name, Hamilton, H-A-M-I-L-T-O-N. Facebook is the Brittany Hamilton. So B-R-I-T-T-N-I-E. Those are probably the two that are the best ways. And yeah, the book is self-love elevated. It is number one on Amazon. So you can even look in there and put in my name on Amazon and it should pull it up as well. Love it. Awesome. So last couple of questions before we wrap up here for anyone who is experiencing some real setbacks or challenges in their life, likely, hopefully not similar to yours, but in their own way. And it feels like a bit of a dark tunnel ahead of them. What do you have to share for them? What, what, you know, what few words do you want to share with them right now to help them remember that there's light? I think one of the biggest things to remember when it's so painful, things could be so hard and you're not sure you're going to get through it, right? You don't, you don't see that end in sight. It's temporary. This time, this period, this devastating setback that you might be in, it's temporary. And the days will keep coming. You will keep getting there. And once you do like the beautiful things that come from it, you'll get to look back and be like, wow, I'm thankful for that piece because it taught me whatever amazing gifts you're going to learn through it. But I think that's the biggest thing is like, it is a temporary period. And you will get through it and And you will figure it out. Yeah. All right. Oh my goodness. Thank you, Brittany, so much for joining. Thank you, Jessica. You were a fantastic guest and I'm so grateful that we got connected and that you were able to share your story. This is the first of many, I'm sure for you. Um, So fantastic. And everybody, like if this episode resonated with you, please give it a like, a share. Don't forget to subscribe. Or if you know somebody who is going through something really hard, really hard, please share this episode with them because it may help them figure out their very own now what. All right, that's it for us. And we will see you all next week for another episode. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it more than I can say. Did you love this episode of I Just Blank Now What? If you did, be sure to subscribe on your fave podcast platform. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. I do love reading them. And if you know somebody who's experiencing this story or something similar, please share this episode with them. It just might help them figure out the answers to their own now what questions. Have you recently had a now what moment and aren't sure what to do? Reach out to me at jessicastevens.ca and submit your story and I'll help you figure out what to do how to move forward and help you answer now what see you on the next episode